We're going to go to a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 20. You might want to be turning there. See if we can do something to ramp up the commitment level of each of us towards world evangelism. Acts chapter 20. At the age of 20, Marwan was already a battle-hardened insurgent. He was a suicide terrorist. He was born in Fallujah, Sunni Muslim, became part of the Al-Qaeda network. And he asked his commander if he could become a suicide terrorist. And when when his commander said yes, Marwan says it was the happiest day of my life. It's kind of hard for us to fathom that. What makes up the mindset of an individual that would would first of all volunteer, but then find that to be the greatest joy of his life. He went through the preparation that was provided by Al-Qaeda to become a suicide terrorist. One of the things that they did in preparation for their death was to dig their own graves. But Marwan said, if I'm lucky, my body will be vaporized. There won't be anything left to bury. You know, that's really hard for us to compute today or to even get our arms around what, what, what makes up the mind of an individual that would say those kinds of things, that would volunteer for those kinds of missions, and that would, would have this kind of an attitude towards, towards life and death. He went through the preparation to become a suicide terrorist, and on the day that his mission was to be executed, he, <clears throat> he went through all of the rituals that they normally do as he went through his ablutions, put on clean clothes, went to some communal prayers at the mosque, went back to the safe house where he'd been trained, put a copy of the Quran in his pocket right next to his heart and strapped on the explosives climbed into the truck that was also loaded with explosives, drove it to his assigned destination, detonated all of the explosives, blew himself up as well as hundreds of other people. It's hard for us in the West to begin to even understand what what motivates an individual like that or how someone could act like that. And, and as we hear about those stories, and perhaps as you heard this morning about Marwan, you you you're appalled at someone being able and willing to do that kind of thing. But there is something commendable about Marwan. There is something that we should applaud. And that is that he really believed in his cause. We don't agree with his cause, but he really believed in the cause that he believed in. And as I read that story of Marwan and began to think about my own life and my own personal commitment, I I began to shrink and and realize that, you know, this suicide terrorist, as well as many others, perhaps have a greater commitment to their cause than we do to ours. We believe we have the truth and we proclaim that very loudly, but yet we don't necessarily always act it out loudly. And I'm not suggesting for one moment today that we should be involved in suicide terrorism, but I am suggesting that perhaps there could be a higher level of commitment to the cause for which we live than the one that we presently have, and that our present commitment level could be ratcheted up a little bit. And so our goal this morning is to see if we can do that, if we can somehow move ourselves up a notch or two in our commitment to the cause for which we serve. I spend a good bit of my time trying to encourage people towards the mission field. And, and uh, as we heard that song this morning just a few moments ago, 
I, I, I joy when I hear someone responding in a positive way that I will go, I'll be involved in this thing. And that's what I sort of live and breathe for. This is what makes my life because I, I want to do everything I can to encourage people onto the mission fields of the world. And so as we think in terms of this, we're not going to use Marwan as a model, but rather the Apostle Paul. But yet as I begin to challenge people towards missions, oftentimes... I get, I'm given all kinds of excuses as to why that's not for them. It's either too far away or it's too cold or too hot or they can't stand the food or can't imagine eating bugs. Or maybe the temperature is just not quite right for them. They know that missionaries really don't get paid that well. And, or maybe they have school debt that they're still trying to pay off. And you just can't imagine putting your family in another culture, in harm's way, in a difficult situation. And so we back away from ever thinking in terms that I could ever be a missionary and and people backpedal rather quickly from me in different settings because they know I'm after them and I'm trying to get them to the mission fields of the world. But I wonder what would happen if we could really get in our own mindset a level of commitment that the Apostle Paul did. And we're going to use him as a backdrop for our thinking through this concept this morning. In Acts chapter 20, we read a story of where the Apostle Paul is headed towards Jerusalem and he's in a bit of a rush. He's trying to get back there for the day of Pentecost and he's He's really on a timeline, and, and, and as, he, as he stops in at the seaport, about 35 miles away, there's a town that he would really love to go back and visit. It's the town of Ephesus. He had been there before. He had ministered in those churches. He knew the people, probably led some of them. The Lord definitely had trained many of them. He had been there for an extended period of time, for 18 months, which for him was a long time. And so he loved that place, and he loved those people, and he wanted to be there, but he was also on a mission. Because the Bible says the Spirit of God constrained him to get to Jerusalem. He knew that he had a job that he had to do. And so instead of going up the 35 miles to, 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 to visit these folk up in Ephesus, he calls the leadership of the church to come back to, down to visit him at the seaport. He doesn't want to miss the boat. And so these men come down, the elders of the church at Ephesus come down, and they're meeting with him. And in Acts chapter 20, we have a speech that is rather extended that he gives to these guys. We're not going to look at all of, it, all of this. I only want to draw your attention to three verses. He says in verse 22, as he began, sort of halfway through the speech, he says, Now I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value or precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's take a few moments and take a look at those, that, that excerpt from this speech that he gave to these guys there that were friends of his as well as co-workers and that were ministering there in the church at Ephesus. The King James puts it this way, none of these things move me. Well, what? Well, I want us to look at two basic ideas here in verses 22 and 23 and 24. One is, first of all, his attitude, a reckless abandonment to his own personal safety and even to his life. And then in a few moments, we're going to take a look at verse 24, and we're going to see a relentless commitment that he had towards two things. So two things that there were a relentless abandonment to, and two things that he had a relentless commitment to. Let's take a look at them. The first thing that he had a reckless abandonment to was his own personal safety. Notice again, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except 
that the Spirit, through other people, testify that imprisonment and afflictions await me there. He didn't know exactly what he was sailing into, but he knew he was sailing into a storm. And in spite of the problems that he was going to face, he says, I'm going to go right forward with this. I'm not stopping. You can't scare me off. And even though it meant imprisonment and afflictions, he was going. And, and what he's alluding to is here, as he would stop and visit with a group of Christians, they would say, Paul, you shouldn't really go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat you up if you go there. And Paul says, I'm going. The next group of Christians would say, Paul, please don't go. They're going to throw you in prison. We need you here preaching the gospel. And Paul says, I know I'm supposed to go, and I'm not going to stop. And the next group of believers would say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because when you do, there's big trouble waiting for you there. And Paul says, I'm going anyway. And Paul had a laser-like commitment towards a cause, towards a mission that God had placed him on. And there was no thing out there in the future that could threaten him to the place that he would back off. And basically, the threat was physical beatings as well as imprisonment. If I had been in Paul's shoes, I probably would not have headed towards Jerusalem. I'd have found a boat going the other direction. I'd sort of been like Jonah. But Paul says, none of these things move me. I am committed to the cause. Look at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials. The things that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. There were people that plotted against me, but he says, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Look at verse 20. He said, I did not shrink back. I wasn't cowardly. I did the job that I was supposed to do. Here was a guy with backbone. Here was a man of steel. And it was that kind of resolve, that kind of commitment to the cause that drove Paul into the life and the ministry. And the reason we still talk about him 2,000 years later is because here was a guy that stayed focused on his commitment to the cause. And even if it meant physical harm, he says, so be it. Reckless abandonment to personal safety. Paul writes the following about his life. He was a guy that got beat up frequently. He says, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice, thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils of false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, in hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and nakedness. That's what Paul's lifestyle looked like. So when they are, when he is now threatened with physical harm, when he goes to Jerusalem, he says, I've, I've done all this stuff. And while he wasn't, I'm sure, looking forward to the beating, he said, I am so committed to the cause that even if it is physical pain and suffering, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. He writes in another place to the Corinthian church that when he was in Ephesus, these people that, 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 that he's now talking to, and they probably had seen him in this Colosseum, he says, I fought with beasts. We don't know that story, but maybe he was, he was like a gladiator that went into the Colosseum and they let the lions loose on him and he lived to tell the story. Paul was the kind of guy that just wouldn't stop. 
Didn't matter what he faced, he was going to do the job that God had called him to do. And he was willing to risk everything. But that has been the story of the great people of God. And the reason why we call them great people of God is because they did have the backbone. They did have the commitment. And they did what they were supposed to do. That's why we still talk about people like Esther, who was facing death if she went into the king. But she said, if I perish, I perish. I've got a job to do. And all of the people of God down through the Bible and through church history that have accomplished those things that they have accomplished, they have done so because... They were committed to the cause. And even though there was physical pain and suffering, they were not willing to back down. This is, uh, this is missions. Missions is risky business. Many of our colleagues today are in physical danger. There are some places that maybe aren't quite as dangerous as others, but there are many places that used to be sort of very nice that today are dangerous, and, and missionaries are in harm's way. And very much... Susceptible to physical danger as if they were in Afghanistan and serving there in the military. And if it's not physical danger, missionaries are on the front line spiritually and they've gone into places where Satan has held reign for many, many generations. And obviously when a missionary shows up, that's not good news to him and he's going to create some kind of havoc in the hearts and the lives of those missionaries. It's a dangerous place to be spiritually. It's a dangerous place to be physically Places like Juarez, just across the border in Mexico, are now, now the single most dangerous city in the world. Missionaries serve down there. These are places that we used to go for vacation. But now Mexico is a dangerous place to be. Not necessarily because you're a missionary, but simply because it's a dangerous place to be and you're putting yourself in, in, the, in potential crossfire. And so missionaries have done this historically down through church history. They have gone to places that is not safe and place themselves deliberately in harm's way. Why? Because there was a commitment to the cause. And so as we think of missions, it starts here. It starts in our hearts and in our minds saying, it doesn't matter how, I, how, how this story ends. The commitment is to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish. And so Paul's testimony was, I'm going to Jerusalem. And even if physically I am damaged, so be it. But it's really a step beyond that, because in verse 24, not only did he have a reckless commitment to his own personal safety, he had a reckless commitment even to his own life. And I don't think Paul was suicidal, but he said, if in the course of carrying out my responsibility, it kills me, so be it. Verse 24, he says, I do not account of my life. And that's an accounting term. It's like taking a you know, calculator and adding up. And he says, I've added up the value of my life. Guess what he came up with? He says, my life is of no value, neither is it precious to me. And the default position for most of us is self-preservation. The default position for us is to stay alive. And we're not going to put ourselves in any kind of danger, and certainly we're not going to put ourselves in harm's way that could physically either hurt me or kill me. But Paul didn't think that way. He said, I know what God wants me to do, and if it kills me, I'm going to do it. And he says, I added up the cause of Christ, compared it to my life, and I said, the cause of Christ always wins. The cause of Christ is so big, so huge, so weighty, so important, so eternal, that my life is worth that much. That's kind of a hard place to get to, isn't it? Most of us would add up our lives and say, hey, there is something of value here. 
I'm important. I mean, God only has one of me. And we are automatically put into this mode of self-preservation. But when we can cross the threshold of this attitude and we begin to think in terms of me being dispensable, it now allows me to move into some new arenas of ministry. I just read this week a statement, I forget who said it. The graveyard is full of people who are indispensable. And when I can get to the place where I realize that I'm not indispensable. God doesn't need me. I may be a tool in his hand, but whether I die now or next year or 20 years from now or 50 years from now or next five minutes, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the cause. That's what's important. Paul basically said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem even if it kills me. Well, you know, this has really been the story, the history of missionaries down through the ages. You read missionary biographies, this has been the heartbeat. There was a big movement of missions a few centuries ago in Germany by a group called the Moravians. And the Moravians were Christians that launched from that part of what today is Eastern Germany, or was Eastern Germany, and they scattered throughout all over the world. And basically, one out of every five Moravians became a missionary. And they just packed their bags, moved to some part of the world, settled down there, lived and died there. They never got back to Germany. But incredible feats of courage on the part of these Moravian Christians that went into a world that was hostile towards them. But amazing stories as well as to the level of commitment that these missionaries had. Uh, one missionary wanted to reach the slaves down in the Caribbean. And these slaves had been brought in to to harvest the sugar cane from, from the fields down there. And he said, the only way I'm going to reach them is if I become one of them. And he put himself on the auction block, had himself sold as a slave, never to be free again the rest of his life because he was a slave. But he said, by becoming a slave, I could be next to these slaves and I could win them to Christ. And he did that. You see, there was a guy that basically did what the Apostle Paul said. He added up the value of his life and said, the value of my life is nothing compared to the cause. Now that's quite a big step for most of us to take. That the cause looms larger than me. And that I'm willing to put it all on the line for the sake of the cause. We stand in great admiration of those soldiers that have gone over to, the, to Iraq and Afghanistan and lay down their lives no different for a missionary. They're laying down their lives, and they should be applauded for what they do. Why? Because it's Pauline, it's like the Apostle Paul. James Calvert was a missionary to the uh, Fijian Islands, and as he was sailing across the Pacific Ocean, the captain of the ship, who was not a believer, was constantly chiding him and saying, you should get off the ship. Don't get off the ship when we get to, to Fiji. Those are cannibals there. They're going you know, to kill you and eat you. James Calvert's response to this captain was simply, we died before we came here. He had already crossed the threshold of adding up the value of his life and said, you know what, the cause of Christ is much greater and more important and more value than my life. So therefore, the cause wins, not my self-preservation. And James Calvert went to the cannibal, cannibals of Fiji Islands. Last year, a soldier by the name of Colonel John Ripley died. His story goes like this. By the way, if you go to Annapolis, I'm told there is a memorial to him in one of the buildings there. Uh, one day I hope to get over there and see this. But he died just last year. 
Colonel John Ripley was in Vietnam during the 1972 Easter Offensive, and <clears throat> he found himself on this side of the river facing 600,000 North Vietnamese on the other side of the river with 200 tanks. Here's the problem. 200,000 over there, he had 600 men on this side of the, uh, of the river. There was a bridge that crossed that river, and, and uh, it was obvious that the North Vietnamese were going to use that bridge now to cross over the river, come into where they were, and start taking over that part of the country. And as John Ripley was there with his men facing uh, this, these 200,000 or 20,000 North Vietnamese, they were severely outnumbered. There was no way they were going to win this battle. The shots were beginning to be fired. And in the middle of that firefight, he got this message from his commander with simply three words as a command. Hold and die. It's quite an amazing command to get from your boss, isn't it? If you went tomorrow and your boss said, okay, here's your job description today. <laughs> you're going to die doing your job. Just hang on until you're dead. That's basically the message that he got. Well, John Ripley lived to tell the story, but here's the rest of that story. He says, this is quoting John Ripley, he says, When you know that you're going to die, a wonderful thing happens to you. You stop being cluttered by the feeling that you have to save yourself. Heroism and heroic deeds start to kick in because if you're going to die anyway, you might as well go out in a blaze of glory, right? And here's what he did. <clears throat> He strapped on some explosives around his waist and, and climbed out under the girders of this bridge, hand over hand, strapped the explosives to the bridge. All the while, the enemy was shooting at him. He blew up the bridge and held off the enemy and basically lived to tell the story. But if he had not had those orders and taken them seriously, hold and die, he probably would not have tried that. Normally, you don't climb out under a bridge with people shooting at you with explosives strapped to you. But when he said, I'm dead anyway, I might as well give it my best shot, he did. Heroism comes when? When we accept the fact that our life is of no value, it's over, now let's give it our best shot until we're finally out of the scene. And John Ripley did that. John Piper has said, fleeing from death is the shortest path to a wasted life. That's a pretty tough statement, isn't it? So many of us are concerned about preserving ourselves, taking care of ourselves, that there is not this reckless abandonment to the cause. And as long as we're not recklessly abandoning self, and as long as we, we add up on our calculator that my life is worth something, we're going to have a hard time identifying with the Apostle Paul we're going to have a hard time ever becoming missionaries or supporting missionaries as we should. Marwan, that suicide terrorist, the day that he climbed into that truck to go blow himself up, had himself handcuffed to the steering wheel. And they put handcuffs on him on the steering wheel because he says, I don't want to at the last minute chicken out. I don't want to jump out of the, I want to fulfill this mission. I want to be handcuffed to this thing. And may I suggest to you, that at some point in your life, maybe it's today, you're going to come to the place where you do handcuff yourself to the cause of Christ. And there's no other way out. There's no other turning. No matter where it takes you, no matter what it does to you, you're handcuffed to the cause of Christ. That's the place we're all aiming to try to get to. 
not to commit suicide, but to make the cause of Christ so critical, so important, so overwhelming that our lives shrink in value. And so Paul was a guy that was committed, committed to a cause. And so he could be recklessly charging forward into firestorms. Secondly, there was a relentless commitment that he had towards this cause. Verse 24, he says, if only I may, number one, finish my course, and then number two, I want to finish the ministry that I've received of the Lord Jesus. I want to finish my course. Paul says, I've got some things that God wants me to do, and I want to make sure I get them done. And at the end of his life, he's writing in 2 Timothy, the last chapter of the book, that, uh, the last book that we know that he wrote. He's ready to face the executioner as he writes about his whole life. He says, guess what? I have finished my course. He got the stuff done that God wanted him to be done to do. And if you study the life of the Apostle Paul, you know about all of his three missionary journeys and where he got to and what he did. That was all his course. His course is not your course, but you have a course. There is a course that God has for you, an intention that he has for your life. There are places that you need to be, things that you need to do. Your greatest concern is to fulfill God's course for your life. I have no idea what that is for some of you. For some of you, I hope it's going to be some of the mission fields of the world. It's very possible that from this congregation, there's a group of you that will end up on some mission field somewhere, and you're saying, not me, but all of us at one point said that. None of us view our, viewed ourselves as missionaries. All of us sort of looked at ourselves and said, man, it's a long shot if God would ever use me to be involved in missions. But my heart's desire is that God would raise up out of this church a group of people who would be Pauline, who would say with reckless abandonment to self, I'm going to charge onto some mission field of the world and I'm going to f- fulfill the course for which God has called me. I wonder if right now you would say, I know that I am fulfilling God's course for me. Or would you have to look back and with regret look at some places that you missed the intersection and blasted right through? And God wanted you to take a left turn, but you went straight ahead. Perhaps it's not too late. Maybe you can get back on course. But I want to, at the end of my life, to be able to say with the Apostle Paul from 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have finished my course. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to get off course. I don't want to be doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. I want to do the main thing, and I want to be involved in fulfilling God's calling in my life. There was a relentless commitment, first of all, to his course, but then secondly, notice in verse 24, he said, there's a relentless commitment that I have to the ministry. Well, what is that ministry? Well, first of all, it's a ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus. The one that had given this command was God himself. So there's where the orders came from. Headquarters in heaven. Now, if it was just me coming along today to talk to you about missions, you could blow me off, ship me out of town, dismiss what I have to say this morning. But the mandate that I'm coming to you with is not one that I came up with or I designed. It comes straight from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, who said, until we have gotten to every single person in every single place on the planet, our job is not done. We don't have to pray about whether to be involved in missions or not. It's already there. 
for 2,000 years, we've been chipping away at this, but it's, it, it's almost getting away from us as, as the world's population just explodes in front of us. Bottom line is, we have a command, we have a mandate from Christ to be involved in missions. What your role is, I can't tell you exactly what yours should be, but I do know that we haven't finished the job, and this mandate comes from Christ, and we have no right to simply dismiss it. And if it kills us, we're going to have to do something to make sure that this happens. And right now, every person in every place has not heard the gospel. Some would estimate at least half of the world, possibly more, have never once heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our job is not done. The mandate comes from Christ. But notice what else he says. Not only did I receive this from the Lord Jesus, but here's what my job is. It's real simple. Got to keep it there. It's to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. It's simply evangelism. Spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the job. It's the job description for every one of us, no matter where we are. For some of you, it's here. For some of us in different parts of the world, it doesn't really matter where you happen to find yourself. That's the job. The job is testifying of the grace of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's real simple. Now, you see, that's a mandate that is worth dying for. Why? Because it comes from the supreme commander. It is a message worth dying for because it is one that has eternal ramifications. You and I have the responsibility of responding either positively or negatively to the mandate that has been given as to whether we're going to take this message to the ends of the world. And for some of you, it may be that God will physically move you from here, possibly to Europe, Africa, South America, Asia, I don't know where, but it's going to be your job to get on a plane and go somewhere else to, to do this work. For some of you, it's to be right here. And there's some people in your neighborhood. It doesn't really matter geographically where we're talking about, but basically, we need to be mobilizing ourselves to this cause. And instead of cowering and playing chicken with our neighbors, to with boldness go next door and develop those relationships and evangelize the lost that are around us. And though it may be the easy way out not to go to China, not to go to Germany or Africa, some of you need to put some steel in your backbone and say, you know what, if it kills me, we're going to go there. And even if it puts me in harm's way, I'm heading for the mission field. That's the message from the Apostle Paul. I know this is tough. It's perhaps a little bit easier for an older guy like me that's sort of been through some of this stuff. And, you know, I don't have a full life ahead of me like some of you do. And, and I don't take for granted that this is pretty heavy duty uh, stuff that we're talking about here this morning. But there's a lot of things we can be frivolous about. But there's one thing we've got to get really serious about. And that is the cause of Christ. And when we get to that place where all of us are walking in like, lockstep to this cause... And are willing to do whatever it takes, guess what? Missions begins to exponentially expand and increase. And, and this, church, this church can multiply many times over what you're presently doing. That's not to diminish what you're presently doing. I'm just saying there's greater heights to which you can soar. Let me conclude by reading this poem by Adrian Plass. He said, when I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. He said... I said, tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I think. I think, amen, amen, I think. I think I say amen. 
I'm not completely sure. Can Can you just run through that again? You said... My body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yeah, sure, that sounds terrific. Lord, I say amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, I said amen a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit, a bit, I say, amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say, I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made up my mind. I say, amen, a bit. Well, I sat sat back and thought a while and then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true. He said, you need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can can I just run through that again? You say, I'll need the joy to bear this pain and sorrow. Yes, I think I've got it straight. I think I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich or a cup of sanctity. The cost is you. Not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen, I quit. Very sorry, Lord. I'd like to follow you, but I don't think that religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need And man enough to go, man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know, man enough to say the things that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear. And listen, are you man enough to stand it to the end, the moment of betrayal and the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry when nails break your body? Are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. Amen, amen. I said, Lord, I'm so frightened. But I also said, Amen. Father, our heart's desire deep down is to say Amen. We we wrestle within ourselves because of our own desire to preserve self or other agendas in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking of ourselves higher than your cause. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up from this congregation great men and women of valor with steel in their backbone that would indeed fulfill your cause and with reckless abandonment to self rush onto the mission fields of the world and fulfill your course for their path. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.